So I'm 98 episodes in. I figure it's about time that I share my opinion on some things with you about the state of substitute teaching and teaching for that matter. Some you're going to like, some you're not. I don't know. Maybe it's because I've been substitute teaching for two and a half years. Maybe it's because there's only six weeks of school left, but there's something about me today that just wants to share my opinion about the state of substitute teaching. And to be honest, it's all going to apply to regular full-time teachers as well. Let me tell you something that's going to come up next week. I hope you enjoyed the April Fool's episode last week, episode 97. I know a lot of you did because it's a very popular episode. Some of you have shared your April Fool's pranks on the Substitute Teachers Lounge group page, and I appreciate that. I'd like to hear from a lot more of you. Even if you're not real crazy about April Fool's stuff, let me know that too. But I've listened to it a bunch. I've watched the video a bunch. I've analyzed expressions, and I'll be honest, I feel a little bit guiltier now than I did this time last week, right after I'd done it. Now, does that mean I'm not going to do it next year? Nah. I'm still going to do it next year, but I can promise you this, I am going to treat this class extra special for the rest of the year. I've got extra treats for them. They're such a good class. They pay attention all the time. It's my highest GPA class. Now, that's not the only measurement of success, but it's something I'm proud of, and they come there to work. I don't have any discipline issues with this class other than talking, but the people that talk most, it's usually the encouraging talking, and it keeps things loose, and it builds camaraderie. So, but what I'm going to do this week coming up, since they're at spring break this current week, this past week, so coming up, I have been promising them that I would let them be on my podcast. And I know with these long hour and a half periods that we have that we can spend this class, we can spend about the last 30 minutes just podcasting and not take away from class time. Now, I say that it's really still class time because everything they say is going to improve the class. But I'm going to tell them this. I'm going to give them a list of questions they can respond to. Some of those are the standard ones. What makes a good substitute teacher? What makes you know your favorite your favorite? Same with teacher for that matter. But I'm going to let them, if they want to, say, what would you think of Mr. Collins' April Fool's joke? What did you really think? Would you like to, what kind of joke would you like to play on Mr. Collins? How do you think you should get back at Mr. Collins? And maybe the best one, and I'm hoping I can talk some people, some of the students into this, is do your best Mr. Collins impression. So, Look forward to that next week. I hope I get to fill up the entire episode with just the interviews of these great kids in my class. And 
maybe it's a way for them to get back at Mr. Collins for tricking them on April Fool's Day. Now, guys, you're going to hear some of my opinions, and I'm going to start off with probably the most controversial one. Remember, I'm an old fogey. I am very much old school. Now, I say that in the hand, you know, in, with the emphasis on teaching, not discipline. When I look back to the way some kids were disciplined with a paddle back when I was in school, it kind of makes me cringe because that just seems so weird and, and so not the thing to do now. And why wasn't a thing to do? We, you know, wh- why did we do it back then either? But I am very old school in teaching methods. Now, I am very, I consider myself very computer savvy. I've got my entire classroom set up with webcams and big speakers, all that's my own. I didn't buy it just for school. All is my own. I'll take it home with me for the at the end of the year. But, you know, I'm pretty savvy on that kind of stuff. But I'm old school from the standpoint that some of the things that we did back when I was in school, to me, worked perfectly. Why did they change? Why did things change? I'm not talking about technology. I'm talking about some of the way we do things, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Now, the first one, two years ago when I was substitute teaching, I was in the eighth grade. Some of my favorite kids that I see, and we talk to each other all the time, even now, they are sophomores in high school. I didn't get to see them this year because of all the COVID stuff. So I've been at one school this year. It's been a great school. I cannot, you know, I'll tell you how I know I loved it. There's only six weeks left, man. I mean, I feel like I just started. I really do. And I hope you teachers, bless your hearts, don't cringe when I say this. You needed a spring break so bad, but it didn't take me to about Tuesday that I miss those kids, man. I'd kind of rather be back in the classroom because I miss them. I know I miss them more than they miss me. So two years ago, eighth graders, they were so excited because next year you get to go to high school. The two things, not educationally, but the two things they look to more than any other was They could wear what they wanted to, as long as not too suggestive. And they could use their smartphones in class without getting into trouble. I was excited for them. Guess what? Right at the end of the school year that year, at the high school they were going to go to, I know what happened. I know the three teachers out of probably, what, 60 that complained about students using their phones for the wrong reasons, not sure how they knew, in the classroom. So guess what? That high school made a rule. And those eighth graders moving up and everyone else in that high school no longer got to use their smartphone. They had to hang them in the pouch on the door. Now, here is Mr. Collins' opinion on smartphone I don't care what you think about it. I don't care if you disagree with me. I want you to have your own opinion. But here's my opinion. It is time we embrace technology. 
when I am a substitute teacher and I hear the rule that they can only use their smartphone if you are using it for a class project, well, guess what? I make sure I figure out a way that they can use it in what we're working on in class that day. It's technology. They need to learn and get better at it. Will they text a friend maybe while we're working in class? Yeah. Did I talk to a friend silently back when I was their age? Yes. I'm such a baseball fan. Did I ever take a little transistor radio into the classroom and stick an earphone in my ear because I wanted to hear the World Series They were still playing day games back then. Did I do that? Yes. I think we need to embrace technology. Let those kids have their smartphones out as long as it keeps their grade up. I have, because of school rules over the last three years, I have had to take I'm going to say maybe 20 times I have had to take smartphones away from kids, and I hated it, but I knew it was the school rule, so I did it. If they allowed me to use it in the classroom, I I tried to do it every chance I got. So my first opinion, let those kids have their smartphones out. Maybe they'll fool you. Maybe when they're looking down and you wanted them to take notes, Maybe they're typing their notes. I am reading my notes for this episode on my smartphone. I type them in. I type it in when I'm walking sometime. I can't take a book to type in my notes when I'm walking. Sometimes I speak into my phone and record notes that way. So let those kids use their smartphones. It is time to do that. Now, next step is what I'll call teacher-preferred tools. Teachers, I am not here, and substitutes, I am not here to step on your toes. But here's what I've learned the last three years. Teachers have their favorite classroom tools to use. It could be paper. It could be gadgets. More so now, it's tools that they're using online, they have their favorites. Guess what? Teachers are not going to change their mind on what their favorites are. Now, what I tried to do when I substitute teach over several weeks at a time, I tried to adapt to that. I tried to adapt to what the teacher's favorite tool was until I realized I'm not as good at it as they are. Teachers use some things that I'll go right in on record as saying now that is good for them because they're better teachers with that tool than I am. I don't have to repeat to you what my favorite tool to use in the classroom is. I can tell you that it starts with a K, and you're going to know what it is. And I am licensed in it. I've got a certificate on it. It is my favorite tool. Am I going to be stubborn as well and say it's the best tool out there? Yeah, probably. You're not going to talk me out of of ways to get me not to use that tool anymore, but everybody's got their preferred tools. 
your preferred tools, keep using them, but don't feel bad when some of us substitutes or some other teachers don't like it as much as you do because they've got their own tools. Over the past two years, I've probably been introduced to, I bet there's 50 different tools. How many do I use? Ongoingly, probably five. I might use five of them. You again know which one I use the most. So that's my second thing. Teachers, it's okay to have your favorite tools, but don't insist that it's everybody's favorite tools because everybody likes their own thing and you're not going to be able to talk them out of that. So embrace it. Let them use their own tools as long as it gets the job done. I've told you this before. It's my opinion. And maybe it's because I didn't go into the teaching profession, even though I wish I had. But it's my opinion. I'll just say it like this. What I enjoy most is not teaching subject matter to the students, but building relationships with those students. Do they need both? Absolutely. Which one of those two is going to mean the most to them later on? Are they going to come up to me in 10 years and say, Mr. Collins, I enjoyed your class so much. I enjoyed the way you talked to us. Or are they going to say, Mr. Collins, I loved it when you shared the cake method for least common factor. I don't think they're going to say that. They're going to remember the relationships I built with them. That's my top priority, guys. I like the teaching part of it second. I like the building relationships first. I just do. That is me. I'm kind of of the opinion that teachers and substitute teachers When you're standing like maybe in a group activity away from just kind of overseeing things and you have a student walk by that's about maybe 50 feet away, but they see you and they feel the need to come over and talk to you, tell you what, you have mastered building a relationship with that student. Guys, and this isn't bragging, this is just how I am. That is my favorite part, and kids from far away, across a big auditorium, across a gymnasium, will come over and talk to me. They don't wait till I come over there. They come over to me and talk to me, and I love every minute of it. So that's the most important part of it to me, is building those relationships. This next opinion, you're going to make fun of me. You're going to, for those of you outside of Kentucky, you're going to make fun of Kentuckians maybe when I say this. For those of you in Kentucky, you'll hate that I say this maybe. But what is with all the big words and the acronyms now? I think that's kind of come along from the texting generation. But It's funny, as I got in, you know, I I came from the corporate world. We had our own set of acronyms. You had to learn them all. But 
I kind of hoped I was getting away from those. I mean, I'm one of those that say what you want to say, don't abbreviate it. Sometimes I will see, or in the past two and a half years, I've seen acronyms that it doesn't embarrass me to ask what they mean, and I have to ask what they mean all the time. Sometimes they're so simple. Sometimes I would never guess them. To be honest, sometimes I look them up on Google, but most of the acronyms used in schools If you just type it into Google, it's so specific to schools that it doesn't always give you the correct answer. But I'd like us to get over acronyms. It's a quicker way to talk, I know, but I'm just not an acronym guy, so I won't use them very often. The only time I really like to use acronyms is if it helps my students remember a series on how to do something like Roy G. Bibb, The Colors of the Rainbow, and my very educated, I'll stop there, you know where I'm going with the planets. So I like acronyms that way. I'll give you something embarrassing that to me that that's changed over the years. I had a teacher in the last couple of years that once asked me, When's your next assessment? And I'm thinking, all right, I know what the word assessment means. I know what the word assess means, but what is she really asking me? She just wanted to know when I was giving a test next. Well, back in my day, we called them tests. We didn't call them assessments. We didn't use the words formative. We didn't use the word summative. There's so many words. Has it helped? Yeah, probably, but... I like to keep things simple, doggone it. I want to use the words that I grew up with. That's the words that I use in my classroom. If some kid asks me, a student asks me, is this a summative? I'll give them the answer because summative, the test part of their grade, usually counts a higher percentage than do the formative part or just the homework parts of their grade. So that's one of my little pet peeves. You won't catch me using a whole lot of acronyms or big words when a more simple word will suffice. And speaking of big words, how about the word diagnostic? That just basically means we're giving the kid kind of a test. It's usually not really graded, but it's just to see where they are. It seems like there's so many of those these days. I'm not sure because, again, I'm old and forgetful, and I might remember a different one 15 minutes from now, but I'm sure that we had some tests like this back when I was in school. But really, the only one I remember is the ACT that I had to take to get into college. It was a requirement. So I do remember that, and that is a diagnostic. It's probably, you would probably use the word assessment more for that, is to see where you are and to see if you qualify to get into the program. So that word's used a lot. And the only reason I bring it up, it seems like with every new tool we have these days, every tool has a diagnostic. And to get the kids ready for using it and to see where they are, we give them the diagnostic. Most of the diagnostics on every tool are built in such a way that if you answer tougher questions, 
tough questions right away, it moves you to even tougher questions. If you're struggling right away, it keeps you where you're at until you get up to where they want you to be. So all of them are like that. My opinion is, is there's just too many of them now. It seems like every program we try, there's a diagnostic, and I'm worried that we're burning our kids out so much that they have such a terrible attitude when they go into it that they really don't give it their best, or it just keeps them from concentrating like they should. So my opinion is that we should pick one or two diagnostics per year and not overwhelm the students with others. Now, talking and music in the classroom. You got to realize, guys, I have music playing at the beginning of the class just when my kids walk in the classroom. It is their style of music. It is not mine. Do I censor it? Sure. I don't play anything that is highly suggestive or just not the right thing to be listening to in the classroom, but I play music. Kids ask me all the time, can we listen to music while we're doing our work? Can we talk while we're doing our work? And my answer is yes. Might not be your answer, but you're talking to someone that listened to music and watched TV their whole life while they were working, and I never got any complaint from my parents about my grades, so... I'll leave it at that. If it's not you, it's not you. But to me, you cannot believe the camaraderie that builds in a class just from the interaction and the music. Now, most kids want to listen to their own music with their own earbuds. Sometimes I'll put my music on in the classroom. Sometimes I'll have them stop talking some because maybe given the project we're doing, they may be able to do it well and still talk, but not everybody in the classroom can say that, and it's distracting to them. So you have to kind of gauge it, but my opinion is let the kids talk. Let the kids listen to their music if they get their work done. I did it. I am not going to tell them that they can't. The last two things I will mention as my opinion is, first of all, respect. How do you measure respect? If you only feel like the teachers get respect, if the students call them by Mr. and Mrs. and their last name, so be it. The kids know my first name. They know if they ask me, if they can call me by that name, I will tell them, yes, I have yet to have any student call me Greg who did it in a disrespectful way. In fact, if anything, I think the only time my name gets used disrespectful is when somebody says, you know what Mr. Collins made us do today? That's, I don't know, that's borderline disrespectful. They're using it kind of negatively, but I don't have a problem with first names, first name basis. It's kind of funny that students, again, that are now sophomores that call me by my first name back when they were eighth graders still enjoy 
the closeness that we have when we run into each other now because they get to call me by my first name. You know, when you get into high school, man, you're adults anyway. You're talking to another adult. You can call me by my first name. If that's not you, okay. But I think it's not only good for me, but it builds the camaraderie I'm looking for. Some of you, the last one is just a silly one. The last one, I like to give treats. I probably spend more money on treats than I do on school supplies because it is amazing how much giving one student a Jolly Rancher will pick them up and and, and motivate them to do their assignment. I don't bribe them to do it. But while they're working on things, I might hand around a piece of candy, and that kid very rarely gives me a problem after that. Okay? You can get carried away with it. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, those four kids that I played that April Fool's joke on, I'm going to give them more treats than they've ever thought they'd ever have from one teacher because, uh, i got to say it again, guys, I'm starting to feel a little bit guilty about it. But, guys, you have my opinions. I want you to disagree with me. You're not going to change my mind, but I want you to disagree with me. I want you to tell me you're wrong on my substitute teachers group on Facebook, but I will ask you to do this. Don't just tell me I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why that doesn't work in your situation Can you make me reconsider? Yeah, I don't have such a closed mind that I won't pay any attention to what you're saying, but jump in that Facebook group. Tell me your opinions about the state of teaching and substitute teaching, and I think we'll all grow from this. And while it might not change our mind on some things, it will definitely help us see how everybody feels about it, okay? Next week, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Those kids are going to let you know what they think about Mr. Collins and what they think about how teachers and substitute teachers should be. See you next week. Music provided by Ben Sound.